today the scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. The text that I'm reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version, uh, updated edition. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. Large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given the thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Let's pray. Holy God, you give, and therefore we live, and there will be many leftovers. May we use them well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Worldwide Communion Sunday began in 1933. It was proposed by a church that I knew well when I lived in Pittsburgh. At the time, in 1933, you know what's going on in world history. There were not only <clears throat> local, but international upheavals and division. 
Shadyside Presbyterian Church began the initiative to celebrate the breadth and the depth and the reach of the church, not just in each location, but around the world, not just in one particular Presbyterian denomination, but all denominations around the world, the church, global. It was added to our liturgy in 1940 when the world was still not at peace, when unity seemed impossible, but the church could find unity at the acceptance table of our Lord across many traditions. At Pacific Theological College in Suva, a weekly communion service. We had daily chapel service, but there was a weekly communion service for all of the students and the community at PTC. And there were many traditions represented by the Protestant students from around the Pacific who came for further education at this seminary. One morning, standing at table, greeting students as they came in was a minister from Solomon Islands. And she was to preside at table as well as preach. There are patriarchal and matriarchal societies around the Pacific, and both are strong, and both sometimes wrestled with each other. As she stood greeting everybody as they came into our circular chapel, a couple of us noticed that some people were missing and we waited, and when they walked in, I think we all had the same thing in our minds. What are they going to do? Their tradition did not allow women to learn from men, from, um, in students' official learning, nor certainly not to preside. That was their tradition, that's what their church enforced, and their students needed to respect that. When the students walked in, God bless them, there was only this momentary hesitation as they all said, this is a table that stretches across all traditions. I don't know what was going on in their head because nobody would confront them. Why would they? Why would we? We all honored the fact that they came in and had communion with the rest of us because we only were there to adore and to follow our one God. Now, our scripture. The feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children is in all four gospel stories. And in chapter six of John, it takes up the whole chapter. It's all about eating and giving and being. So in your own mind, you've heard this story so many times. I'd like you to sit down on the grass on that hillside. Sit among the crowd. Now look around. Who sat where and with whom? What does inclusion look like on this hillside? What was this crowd in their passion for following Jesus? What were they thinking would happen next? They knew the ordering of the day. They could see that the sun was setting. Evening was approaching. Food was needed. Children were hungry. They also knew exactly where they were geographically. They were outside of the town, on the outskirts, 
without access to food. No Uber options. You already had that in your head. As I have said, water is a great equalizer. So is the absence of food. In the Synoptic Gospels, the, di the disciples asked Jesus to send the crowd away. Now, we don't have that in our scripture, but in the other three, they say, oh, hey, look, you see all these people? They're going to need to be fed pretty soon, and we can't do this, just get rid of them. Make them fend for themselves. Bringing back ourselves to this century, we know about picnics. We know about large fields with lots of people. There may be concerts. There may be a just mass eating. This is normal for us. It was not normal for first century Palestine. There was no such concept of a picnic. There was gathering in a room, around a table, multiple tables. So what did the disciples perceive in Jesus' asking the crowd to sit down? What did the disciples see as they surveyed the crowd? The size of the crowd is larger than most, almost all, first century cities. This crowd of 5,000 plus, larger than the inhabitants of a typical city. Reverend Debbie Thomas, who's at St. Mark's Episcopal Church right here in Palo Alto, in her wonderful book writes, when, when Jesus' disciples look at the crowds, they only see the crowd's insufficiency, their own scant resources, and they perceive the impossibility of the situation. Switch to Jesus. What does Jesus see? Genuine need and Jesus allows this to hit him squarely in the gut Debbie writes in the face of the crowd's deep hunger despair is not an option someone has to act the disciples wanted Jesus to act Jesus wanted the disciples to act Debbie writes, maybe we need to be felled by our own hungers before we can turn abstract compassion into life-saving action. The disciples respond, but it would take eight months of salaries to feed this many people. And the practicality of the details, the preparations, the travel, the distances, the, uh, the accumulating the food, the bringing the food back, it's going to be dark, the crowd's going to need to be controlled because they might rush us, we might get our shirts wrinkled. How are we supposed to accomplish that? It's impossible. And the impracticality is what's in their mind. What about you? How often does impracticality paint your perception it's just too much they complained and jesus listened as jesus does jesus is so accustomed to hearing us tell him what cannot be accomplished it's impossible lord 
press pause, there is another miraculous feeding in 2 Kings chapter 4 with the prophet Elisha. There's a famine. Elisha has multiple barley loaves also and a throng. And he too prays. And they too ate and had some leftovers according to the word of Elisha. Followers complained about impossibilities, but Elisha said, give it to the people so that they can eat. But there are only a couple of loaves here and there are about 100 people there. Give it to the people so they can eat. And this is what the Lord says, quotes Elijah, Elisha, eat and there will be leftovers. So the servant gave the food to them and they ate and had leftovers, just as the Lord said they would. Okay, get back down on the grass. Probably there are ants, but get on the grass anyway. Sit among the crowd. From your perspective, without cameras, scripture, cell phones, how do you know where the food is coming from? How do you know this story of a boy with five loaves and two fish? You're a one of 5,000. How do you know where this food is coming from? It's the beauty of the story, you don't. Impossibility in this story is where provisions come. It just, oh, thank you, Lord. The Lord is giving this. Jesus is giving this to us. Wow, this is awesome. Well, I don't know where he got this from. What's your view? Besides the disciples, no one else knows. Perhaps the young boy, but my guess is the young boy handed his food to Andrew and then took off to be back with mom. Maybe he doesn't know. An illustration of this story. In the port city of Breskens in the Netherlands, there is a grain silo with a full-size mural along the multi-storied silo, representing today's story, and it's on your bulletin. And for those of you on Zoom, the link to the Art and Faith page, the article, is there for you if you would like to look at this picture as well. The artist is Dutch artist Johnny Perens. The mural is painted on a huge silo in this port city. The combination of five loaves of bread and two fish painted in bento box fashion recognizes the gifts of the earth, both land and because it's a port city, both and sea and because there are fish, and by their location, the port, the fish, the grain, the land, massively huge. It also recognizes the gifts of human labor. How will this grain silo receive its grain? How will the port receive its fish? Human giving. The size of the mural speaks to the abundance that we see in chapter six and of leftovers. Now, 
Come on back to the story. Before the skeptical disciples passed out what they thought were meager, insufficient provisions, five loaves of bread, two fish, eat any one of those disciples could have consumed this on their own. Jesus takes the bread and he prays over it. Then he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Where or when that bread stopped overflowing is not recorded. Has the giving ever stopped? We don't know what reaction the disciples had among themselves when Jesus said, why don't you go out and pick up the leftovers? Leftovers? Yep. Leftovers from scarcity, a bento box from a young boy. Those who were hungry became full and couldn't eat the rest. Then the questioning disciples were sent out with 12 baskets to find leftovers. 12 baskets full of leftovers. A sign that this meal of Jesus is followed by this tradition around the world that we celebrate communion. Even a mere small portion develops leftovers in you and through you. Twelve baskets are on our communion table to represent the overabundance that Jesus gives from something meager. This is who our God is. Overabundance with leftovers. Not only in this meal, but remember the wedding at Cana. How many bottles of wine came out of those empty jugs? First there was water and then 750, if not 80, bottles if, we had if they had used bottles, they didn't, they used the large jugs of the best wine. Abundance out of nothing. When we have nothing, that is God's starting point. Those leftovers remain with us and continue to give strength and nurture to the few and to the many. Does Jesus care which? No, just be there. So what do we do with our leftovers on this worldwide communion Sunday? You are not leftovers, but what is within you is. Not the baskets, nor are you baskets, but your hearts are receptacles for the abundance of God that flows through you whether you recognize it or not through the ministries of your life. Leftover compassion, peace, hope, love to share, a comforting word, an empathetic tear, a hand pulling someone out of trouble. Take your abundance of leftovers and may you share them so that hungry in spirit or body becomes full.
the exhausted, the emotionally tired are strengthened. The spiritually or physically hungry are fed. Who, me, you might say? Yes, that's exactly what Andrew and Peter and the disciples said. Who, me? I can't do this. Send the people away. Each time we pray over this table, we thank God for what has been given and for the leftovers that allow us to let the giving continue. Because Jesus gives, we too can give. And because you give, someone will feel your acceptance even though you may not see it. Because you give, someone's story is heard that may otherwise go unnoticed. Because you give, advocates speak out for this earth created and loved by God. Because you give, youth are loved and encouraged in our community and beyond. Because you give, children feel welcomed. Because you give, others are fed and filled. Because you give, you do not look for results, but trust God's provision. And because you give, you have learned to trust each other. Because conformity is not necessary. Because you give, you are the ones through whom God lives and moves and becomes known. Because you give, there are plenty of leftovers for more than we can possibly imagine. Amen.